Welcome to your favorite podcast, I've Been Meaning to Watch That. My name is Monica, and every single week, we ask these kinds of questions. Does extreme violence really add to the plot of a story? Why is it that most kids who watched horror movies growing up love true crime now? And should you really go on a reality show to find love? If you've ever asked any of these questions, or if you're curious to find the answers, feel free to listen to this podcast. We're streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Instagram and Twitter for more updates. Thank you so much, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome and welcome back to the podcast. I've been meaning to watch that. I am your host, Monica. And I am joined with a returning guest. Their name is Bean. Bean, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself to the people, let them know who you are, give them a little background. Hi, I'm Bean. Well, formerly Beatrice Shazad, but who calls me that? Not my friends. <laughs> um, I am technically a film critic. I write for Discussing Film. Um, I also have a little side blog where I write books, write about books and movies. Um, that's that. And that is wonderful. Bean, thank you so much for coming back on the pod. It is so wonderful to see you once again. And guys, we are here back again with another episode of I The Mean To Watch That. Today, we're going to talk about the worst TV shows of 2022. But... Before we get into that, we are going to be talking about new releases. I don't know why, <laughs> sorry, don't know why there was a pause, but we're going to talk about new releases that are coming out soon this year. Um, one new release that is coming out, I think by the time by the time we're recording this, it's already out, but I would still like to mention it. There is a show called bling empire new york it's a new season of the show and apparently there are eight seasons i haven't watched the show but it does look like a lot of fun so i think i might give it a try and let me see what else is there there is also a show there's actually a documentary called the hatchet wielding high hike hold on hatchet wielding hitchhiker which is a documentary about some guy who's basically a nomad who went viral and then it just led to this downward spiral and it's kind of like an interesting documentary but it's a little strange and it's a little weird it's, it's described as offbeat by netflix which you know is always kind of fun so those are two new releases coming out that you can look out for on netflix and of course netflix always has new stuff coming out all the time one new release I'm actually very excited for is season three of Lupin, and Lupin is a show, it's a French show, it's about this guy, he's like a, a, a thief, and the jobs that he works are the things that he does, the jobs that he works, he's basically like this thief, but like a high profile thief who gets away with it, he just disguises, and he like, he, uh, uh, he like, um, how he does his thievery is based off of the stories of a character in a children's book by the same name, uh, Lupin. And it's kind of like a thriller series. It's so, so good. 
And it's like a, okay, here's a synopsis. A retelling of the classic French story of Arsène Lupin, the world-famous gentleman thief and master of disguise. So I would highly suggest that you guys go watch it because there are two seasons on Netflix right now. And each episode is better than the next. And I cannot wait for the third season to come out. I think the third season is going to be the last season, which makes me very sad. But I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay. Uh, Bean. Bean. Is there any new releases that you're excited to see that are coming out? Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to be basic and start off with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Yes. Um, I, listen, Ant-Man's my favorite MCU character. Same. Even if those movies are bad, they're good. They're like, not bad. Those are the, 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 listen, those are the only movies that I go in, my brain shuts off completely. Like, I do not have a single critical thought in those things. They're just all fun to me. I sit down, like, if this movie is bad, if it flops, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. I'm going to go in that theater. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have the best time of my life. I will be fulfilled. Um, So that's my number one. That's number one. And then number two and three, if I can find them, is that Oscar nominations came out. Yes. I've been meaning to watch uh, Women Talking. I want to watch it so bad. But there's like no time like there's no screenings near me or my local theater's not doing screenings so i have to like hunt down how to go see it and the same with uh living which apparently was at sundance but i didn't watch it there and the screenplay is by kazuo ishiguro ishiguro and i like his i like his writing so i kind of want to see it but trying to see like an indie movie in this economy trying to find a screening Oh my god. Oh my god. I I don't to... know what... Sorry, go. No, 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 you can go ahead. I just want to say, I feel like Regal's lying... I feel like Regal is gaslighting me. Because <laughs> I got, like, the notification today. It's all like, we're reissuing all ten Best Picture winners in theaters. Like, get your tickets now. Like, they emailed it to me. I got the notification in app. I saw a tweet about it. I was like, alright, I go. No screenings near you. What do you mean no screenings near me? I want to watch a woman talking. What do you mean there are no screenings near me? Okay? I've seen most of the other ones except for Top Gun, which I will eventually. But that one, where is it? Regal, you're a major distributor. Where is it? Yeah. I'm going to say I completely 100% agree with you because one thing that I do find so annoying every single day, it just irks me. The fact that so many amazing films come out and, you know, they're independent films and they're very well done, but I don't really hear about them that much. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, sometimes I'm out of the loop. I'm going to be for real. Sometimes I am out of the loop and it sucks as like someone who's supposedly like a film fanatic or a part of film Twitter or what have you. Um, it really does suck when you see these movies get nominated for these awards and you want to watch them for yourself just for the fun and the thrill and the joy just to kind of like easily judge them for your own like self but also kind of like to watch a cool movie to watch a good movie and watch something that's different and a lot of those movies are not easily accessible or available to you and if they are at least where i live if there is an indie movie that has come out like woman talking um usually it's at a theater that is like 
20 miles away from me and it's only showing at seven o'clock on the weekdays never on the weekends it's frustrating and i want to watch these movies and support it i don't want to pirate them you know i want to like give them my money so they can like have the monetary support but it's 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 like and also streaming services don't always pick up these independent movies and i'm sure there is a streaming service out there that has independent films in their catalog but some of those services don't have all the films or you know with streaming you don't really know how the money is being um i really i still don't understand how people make money off of streaming i'm gonna be honest like i still try to figure it out i maybe i don't do enough research but well most of these companies are bankrupt so don't worry about it <laughs> Netflix is Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, Netflix it, we're not getting into that now. But yeah, I understand cuz at Sundance I watched After Yang and it was maybe probably my one of my favorite if not my favorite movies from last year. Mm-hmm. And I remember when it got its release, I was like I, I was trying to get people to go see it. I was trying to be, you know, its number one warrior on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it, just no one could just because like the release was not wide enough. It wasn't in right. enough theaters. Right. And my friends were like, yeah, I would watch it mm-hmm. if I could. And I was like, oh, damn it. And its distributor was A24. And I was like, you're not that small, A24. No. no. You could have done it if you wanted to. Yep. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Colin Farrell is in your movie. He's what do right you there. mean it's not Yeah. What do you mean it's not getting wide release? <laughs> Man, I was mad. I totally get that. It's it is really frustrating how that happens, and man, I just wish that these really amazing films that are coming out and these independent films, especially, were getting the love they deserve and they're being seen by water, wider audiences and more people are talking about them because Everything Everywhere All at Once is one of those films that's like very unique and it's like a once in a lifetime kind of movie and I haven't seen it so please don't bully me or please don't spoil it for me because people have been accidentally spoiling it for me and I'm very happy that I have a very bad memory because I don't remember the spoilers but it's one of those movies that come out and it's very lucky that it was in theaters and then re-released and even though it was re-released I still didn't see it again I'm <laughs> like but like, what do you mean the re-release is like coming oh I think it was already re-released in my area but maybe I might be wrong I might have to look into that again well it'll probably get another real release because now it's a best picture nominee right yes absolutely and um yeah i mean everything everywhere all at once is one of those movies where like it's kind of like a once in a lifetime film so we're very lucky to kind of like have it and have that come out but not every single independent film even if it is as good as everything everywhere all at once or if it like tries to measure up to it doesn't get that same um overall success and love and attention like everything everywhere all at once was the most reviewed and liked film on letterboxd this year you know that's definitely different from i did see that movie wow that's so shady (laughs) it's not shady it's just that's so shady 
That's shady. It's not shady. Yes, it is. It's not. Sh- yes. Listen, okay. Bean. I can't proper listen because here's here. Uh, how do I say this? It's difficult to talk about my relationship with that movie because it hit a very personal note for me, but then didn't resolve the way the movie did. Like, it was very, it was bad for me personally. So I can't look at it fairly or objectively or comment on it in any rational way because the emotional response I had it to to it was like like too much and it's hard to talk about it because people just automatically assume that you're racist and it's like no I just don't want a trauma dump on a Tuesday night like <laughs> right. well actually it's Wednesday when we're recording this so yeah um but yeah very happy for the cast, though. Oh, yeah. It's a good cast. I'm glad they're nominated. Yeah, they deserve it. They absolutely do deserve it. And I definitely need to watch this movie. Like, I I don't know what I gotta do to get myself to watch this film, but I gotta sit down. I gotta sit my butt down and just, like, watch it and experience it the same way everyone else has. Yeah, I was surprised because even people like my real life, I don't want to say in real life, but, like, the losers I go to work with were, like, I thought. <laughs> And I was like, wow. The losers are going to work with. Yeah. Sorry if any any of my co-workers stumble upon this. <laughs> my bad. Ah, uh, bead. Bullying the people you work with. How fun. Yes. Okay. Well, we've talked about new releases a bit, so we can get into the meat of the podcast. Guys... Today, we are here today to talk about the worst TV shows of 2022 because many, many shows were released this year, and not all of them were good. Some of them were bad, and we're just going to hop right into it and talk about the bad ones. And the bad one, there's one I want to talk about, I just want to get out of the way, is, uh, uh, Dahmer. I want to talk about Dahmer, and I'm just going to say it right now, it shouldn't have been made, it was... Like, I feel like something that we can all agree on is that, like, true crime has kind of taken over um, when it comes to content. You know, when it comes to new TV shows, especially on streaming services, there has been this wave of um, shows that sympathize with killers and murderers. And truly, 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 it is something that I wish would stop. Like with the Ted Bundy film, Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy, and now um, Evan Peters playing um, Evan Peters playing Dahmer, and then Evan Peters winning a Golden Globe for playing Dahmer. It's like, oh, this is not good. This is so bad. And honestly, I'm. I would. I want it to stop. I want this to end. I want this to be over. The more I see people like, the more we watch it. Of course, cause people love to just watch it just to see, just to see what it's like, just to see if it's good or bad. Like, it's this endless loop. It's this endless cycle. They make the show. People are upset about the show. They don't like it. You don't um, acknowledge the victims' families, or the victims' families don't want the show to be made because you're portraying the serial killer in a certain light and. The victims' families, of course, see the serial killer as a serial killer, and then everyday human beings are just like, oh, well, I'm interested in true crime, and I'm interested in this, I'm going to watch it just to see. And then you run up the numbers, the streaming numbers, and then the streaming service is like, ooh, 
trim numbers, money, yay, and then awards, and then nominations, and then wins, and then the actors, and then da 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 da, and it gets all of this praise behind a show that is about a monster. And then the cycle continues over and over again. And I really wish someone would just like poke a hole in the wheel and just stop the bike that is riding up this crazy hill. I'm over it. I don't know if that'll ever happen. I wish it would. I, I sincerely I'm... wish it would. I don't know. Like I said, people, people like the grotesque. They like things that they don't understand. It becomes spectacle to them. And that's acceptable within a certain limit in fiction, because fiction isn't real. But then we start applying it to things that are real, and people who are currently living with the aftermath of these events, mm -hmm. and people involved in cases that people are speculating about, mm -hmm. and that's where it gets, like, significantly worse. Yeah. Because all... How do I say this? Real people are not stories. Real events are not stories. But TV shows are stories. Yes. So, and so structuring TV shows any certain way is going to get something across. It's making a fantasy and it's making something out of nothing. And that's how people are going to interface with the story, even though technically there isn't a story. You know, there isn't a real narrative there in, like... Sometimes a serial killer, like, that's not a story to consume with a high and a low and an arc and a certain, you know, framing around it. Mm -hmm. And that's more complicated because you could say that about any biopic or, like, any story about a person. Um, but I think it's especially heinous when it's about, like, tragedy of this degree that's this personal and this, like demented you know yeah you are absolutely right um people do look to true crime especially in the form of podcasts movies these tv shows and documentaries as something of stories and fiction where it is just entertainment for you to watch and enjoy and if you tell someone that like hey true crime is bad then you're somehow like shitting on their fun or something like that and i don't think people realize that like these people are like terrible these people are horrible and more than likely you may not think it's possible but there could be someone that you know or that you met or someone in your own town who has had to deal with someone that they love being murdered and when they see all of this happening on streaming services and very popular channels and all over YouTube, it is upsetting. It's not cute, it's very gross, and it's just unempathetic to say the least. And it sucks even more because these actors are very talented at what they do and of course they take their work very seriously, but it doesn't help when like a beloved actor plays a serial killer who is seen as someone who is smart and clever and charismatic and oh how did he do it because you're just furthering this image that people have of this terrible person and i really don't see why people are so obsessed with serial killers i understand that some people are interested in them in a psychological aspect but really it's just 
it's a nightmare. It's just a nightmare. And just think about if you lost somebody in such a bone chilling way, and then next thing you know, there's the person who took who like took the life of someone that you loved. This person has a TV show now, and an actor that you admire or that you've seen in something or someone you think is very talented starts playing this person in this TV show, and not everyone's talking about it. Like it's just a show, and it's not real life. Like the the people who died aren't like real people. And the thing is, is like. I watched, I didn't watch Dahmer. I watched someone react to Dahmer. That's how I usually watch shows that I don't want to watch. And there was a whole episode about one of Dahmer's victims. And the way that they structured the episode, um, I'm not gonna like, uh, how do I say this? The episode okay there is an episode in jeffrey dahmer's show on netflix not jeffrey dahmer's show but the show's produced by ryan murphy starring emma peters one of the episodes focuses on one of jeffrey dahmer's victims it goes from him at home with his family to him meeting jeffrey and then being in jeffrey's apartment and the victim is deaf black and queer and it's just a trifecta of wow, you really are dealing with so much in America and now you're being murdered by this ugly white man. It's it's the worst. And although the episode is sweet and you're watching this person who is kind and earnest and just trying to be a good person and having fun, it is so horribly... It's like, I can't... Watching someone else watch it was not even enough for me. I had to, like, just pause because you're seeing this person's life and then like you know at the end there they die this heinous gory murders that are um committed by jeffrey dahmer and why would you choose one episode to portray this victim's life when the entire show is just an insult to the victim's memories like just because you're honoring one person who was disabled and black and queer doesn't mean that it makes up for the fact that this show shouldn't have been made in the first place i have to ask because i don't know but mm-hmm. was like the family of the victim involved in that episode or like any of their friends or their loved ones because like i understand in documentaries if they wanted to like because think about it in a documentary if you wanted to like humanize the victim you would bring in their mm-hmm. friends their, like whatever to talk about this person so people will get proper context but, like, did did they have that in the show? Or did they just, like, take from what they, like, knew in the cases and stuff? Because that's kind of... That kind of feels wrong. So, a lot of the um, victim's family members um, spoke out and said that they... There are some families that called the show... Um, careless and said that Ryan Murphy was basically re-traumatizing a lot of the people who had lost their loved ones due to Jeffrey Dahmer's crimes. There was one woman who had written a letter, I believe. Um, she basically wrote a letter to Insider saying that it was sad that they're making money off of this tragedy. And Ryan Murphy said in an interview, I believe, 
that he had tried to reach out to the victim's families, but they didn't really get a response. But also, when it came to like writing the articles in regards to telling the size of the story to the victim's families, Netflix and Ryan Murphy Productions did not comment on it. And truly, it just shows that the people who are actually affected by Jeffrey Dahmer's crimes didn't want this show to happen, were not happy that the show was made, and do not see it as something that's just like... They they really do see like that there are true repercussions behind the TV show, you know? And as much as I... I think Evan Peters is a great actor, and I love Niecy Nash. I think she's phenomenal. I truly do wish the show wasn't made. And although I'm proud of Evan... He's done so, like, he didn't have to say yes to this. This really didn't need to be made. Like, he's a great actor. He could have won a go-to-go for literally anything else. It didn't have to be this. And it really is disappointing when this kind of stuff happens. You know, like, you see an actor that you love and admire, and they say yes to a certain project, and it's like, why are we doing this? Why do we say yes? Like, do we really need the shiny trophy that bad? Do we not have, like, <laughs> uh, do we not have any couth? Do we not have any resolve? Do we not have any decorum? Yes! And like, this is not comparable. My example is not comparable, really. But I just want to say, when when Joaquin Phoenix won a Golden Globe for Joker, I was ready to fight the Hollywood foreign press. Because why would you give him a Golden Globe for Joker? That is Joaquin Phoenix. He has been doing this for how long? He could have gotten an award for um you were never really here which is a film he did that was actually directed by a female director which is really really good you can watch it on um amazon he also did a film called come on come on he has done many other films and he's very talented you know but for him to win an award for joker i just i know that there are people who like that movie I'm going to be very honest to say I have not seen Joker, but I really don't think Joker should have been made because it's unnecessary and I don't know why. It was like, why is it, why was it necessary? Like, why is it here? Like it, I, I don't know. I don't know not. how to tell you this, mm-hmm. but he won the Oscar for Joker. That's what it was. That's what yeah. it was. Why? Yeah. But why? An Oscar? Yeah. An Oscar? Yeah. For Joker? I think an Oscar is a little bit more prestigious than a Golden Globe. It is more prestigious. It makes it worse. It makes it so much more worse. What's even more worse is that Chadwick Boseman even won an Oscar for Black Panther. Oh my gosh. Listen, I'm not... I've seen Joker. I did not like Joker. Oh my gosh. But, but, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. Mm -hmm. We know the only reason that Lady Gaga is playing Harley Quinn is because she's gunning for that Oscar. And that is going to be the craziest campaign we have ever seen in our life. Imagine Lady Gaga, Harley Quinn, R-rated Joker musical campaign for an Oscar. I don't want That's this. That almost makes it worth it. It almost makes it. it worth it. I don't want it. I think, I think it's going to be so funny. I don't want it. She's going to just say crazy stuff. Come on, think about it. As much as I love Lady Gaga, I... I, I oh she goes, she goes like, weirdly method. Do you remember the stuff she did for, like, that Gucci movie? House of Gucci? Yeah. 
She was all like, I think about Patricia all the time. Like, she would just say, she would just say random, weird, cryptic stuff, and it's like, wow. She's like, she'd be like, if I had brown hair, I was speaking in the accent. The accent was like a part of me, and I was like, whoa. I'm not sure what we're doing here, but her campaigns are always crazy. I don't condone murder, but I do support women's rights. (laughs) Yeah, she said something like that. Yeah, she was all like, yeah. Uh, empowering and, woman. She said empowering. Yeah, uh, I remember yeah. that. And the background behind Hasekuchi is so wild because, like, the family that the movie is based off of did not want that movie made. And the woman that Lady Gaga was played is still alive today. And she was like, she didn't call yeah. me. She didn't ask, like, for any advice. She didn't, like, contact me. And, like, I don't want this movie made. Like, I love, I love Lady Gaga, but, like, I don't want this to be made. And then Lady Gaga basically like, tried to dodge questions about um, you know, what she said, and I don't know if she responded or if she says something in response to it, but everything behind that film was so weird. And also, I have a blind item about that movie. Do you want to hear it? I guess. <laughs> okay, so I try not to make it a habit to read blind items. I used to be obsessed with them, but they stick in my brain like peanut butter. So there is this blind item I read where basically Lady Gaga was okay with people thinking that she was possibly sleeping around with Bradley Cooper just because of, like, how close they seemed while doing press and how, like, kind and, like, how, like, warm he was towards her during their interviews and just, like, they have really good chemistry. I really think that they seem like, you know, good friends. I'm not going to speculate or say anything about it. But, like, when it came to her doing press with, like, Adam Driver, she's like, no one can think that I've ever seen that man naked. Not at all. No one could think that. No one can. I don't want it even like a whisper of it. Like, absolutely not. No way. Absolutely not. And Adam Driver has his own blood items that I've read that are like, okay, this makes so much more sense because he is such a tall man. And he's a good actor, but he's one of those people where it's like, hmm, there's just something a little off about you, you know? Like, it's a good thing that he doesn't do interviews a lot, and he does have social media, because he's such a good actor. I think people kind of ignore the fact that, like, it's not that he seems weird, it's just like... Keep going, keep going. <laughs> so I've read Blind Idols basically, like, about his marriage, and there's a lot, a lot of a speculation behind it that, like, they're not... They're married, but they're not, like, married. Like, they don't sleep in the same bed, which, like, I don't care about that because, like, people are like that. Like, it's just, it is what it is. Marriage is like that. And, like, there are a lot of Hollywood couples that are like that, too. But there are also, like, um, rumors that, like, he was possibly, on the set of Don Quixote, um, very rude to the crew and just basically borderline abusive and he, like, yelled in the lead actress's face. And I think shoved her around a bit. And was just kind of, like, aggressive. Oh, I heard about that. I think, yeah. I think, yeah, that, that made into, like, an article. Yeah. I remember reading that. I don't know why no one ever talked about that. Because I feel like it kind of makes sense. Since he keeps playing these characters that are, like... I mean, he played Kylo Ren. I don't know if he's played any other character like Kylo well, Ren. Well, I don't like speculating based on, like, mm-hmm. the kind of characters they play. Right. I just tend to believe women what, what people yeah, yeah what people say like if someone has like an accusation I'll uh-huh. be like yeah 
I'm going to give the person who accused the benefit of the doubt yeah. rather than... But no, Adam Driver is such... Be- he's, like, beloved because he's a good actor. And also because he played Kylo Ren and he has the Raylos behind him. Oh my gosh, so, the freaking Raylos, please. I got attacked by Raylos once. It was crazy. Uh, I try to stay away from that side of Twitter. Yeah, you really should. But, yeah. I think it's kind of funny how they're all in love with him. Like, they really admire him as a person and as an actor, but they don't like any of the projects he's in because they're not into, like, artsy, not artsy, but, like, weird movies. He does a lot of weird movies. They don't like weird movies, but they like him. Yeah. So they end up watching all these, like, like, white noise. Yeah. None of you guys liked white noise. Come on, be real. Yeah. There were some other blonde items about, like, him and Carrie Russell, I think her name is, because she was, they were in a play together, and she was also in Star Wars, but I just kind of feel like, sure, that maybe did happen, because the play they were in together was kind of like NSFW, so if they did end up sleeping together, I was like, okay, yeah, probably happened, but... Yeah. yeah. I don't know about all that. I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> Adam Driver is a weird little bean. He's a weird guy. I'm not gonna lie. Um, yeah. Okay. We have devolved from the point. Yeah, uh, we're somewhere... Why are we talking about Adam Driver? <laughs> Let's get back to Jeffrey Dahmer. Overall, Oh, better. Great. So much better. Oh my god. <laughs> oh yeah. 100% better. Um, overall, not a great show. And I... I mean, Netflix is just, like, the prime platform for making television shows that are controversial and get a lot of backlash, and they're just like, "Mm mm-hmm, now bring us the streaming numbers. Bring it to me. Bring it to Papa. Bring me the numbers. It's just not... It's not good, man. It's not good. That's all. Um, Do you have anything else you want to say about Dahmer? No. Um, what I have to say about Dahmer, I have said, Ryan Murphy gives me the ick. Yes. Um, Dahmer gives me the ick. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we should make shows like that. Yeah. I, we talked about this earlier today, that I only believe there are, like, only a few instances of ethical true crime. Yeah. And that's true crime, historical true crime, where everyone involved is dead. Mm-hmm. And then true crime where the fam like missing persons true crime where the families of the victims um want to get more exposure to the case so more people can help look for the person because that's how missing persons cases get solved it's like if they have some sort of tip that helps them so those are the if it's if it doesn't fall within there sorry about it and i think that a lot of true crime shows um especially if they're based on real events uh perpetuate a lot of false information and um stuff that like maybe isn't true because like a lot of true crime maybe listens to the police more than it should because the police like to lie a lot of true crime relies on stuff like polygraph tests for evidence yeah or body reading for evidence those aren't true those are pseudoscience so, 
I think we should be more critical of the true crime we consume, and also maybe pop probably make less of it, and especially uh, stop romanticizing serial killers. Okay, thank you yeah. for my TED Talk. And one other thing that I do find annoying about like the rise of true crime is that, first of all, I agree with you that you know when it comes to stories where the people that have died, like the victims, are like long dead, so like the families aren't affected by the story being told, that's okay to talk about, I believe. Or when um, it's a missing persons case, another um, piece, another um, kind of true crime media that I really like are when you're talking about the like there is one documentary i watched recently called the sins of our mother and it's about this um give me a second it's about this woman and really the um documentary focuses on her kids it's about Lori valow 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 and two of her young children go missing and so it's younger children she had from another relationship or another marriage, I believe. And her older kids are the people that you're talking to or the people that are talking in the interview in the documentary. And they're giving like background on Lori, on like how she was as a mother when they were young and her different relationships and her relationship in the church and different kinds of sects of Christianity that she became a part of. And, um, Later in the older kids' lives, she met this guy who was part of this um, kind of church cult. I really don't know how to say it exactly, but her new husband had these doomsday views, and Lori just fell right into it, and her two young kids went missing. And that documentary, I think, was really good because it gives you, like, a very clear overall picture of who she is as a person from the point of view of her kids and also her parents and then people who know her and then when you get to like the climax of the documentary it's like we have an overall picture of what's going on we have an overall picture of what happened and i prefer those kind of documentaries where if you are someone who is who knew the victim who interacted with the victim or knew the person who was accused of the crime or the person who did the crime, um, then that's something I would rather see or watch because I feel like there's a lot more, there's less speculation. It doesn't feel as exploitative as true crime feels. It feels more like a window. There's another um, documentary I watched recently called The Girl in the Picture. And this one's actually like a lot more sad, but it's very, very good. It's about this young woman who mysteriously died and her son was kidnapped and we learn all about her story and how like who you think she is isn't who she really is and you meet all these people who knew her and all these people who loved her and admired her and you learn about her life and how like how hard it was really but it's just this overall like full picture full story of who the girl in the picture really was and what she went through and it's really just like a, a jaw-dropping kind of documentary, but I really did enjoy it, even though it made me sad. Like, I, I did cry at the end of it. It's really, really good, and it's different from, it's different from Dahmer, because Dahmer is a documentary that is displaying this horrible, terrible person who killed mainly black queer men, and 
that they're probably, like, he did terrible things. You know, I don't want to go into detail. I don't want to say any triggering on the pod, but he was a terrible person. And to have a show that's kind of like almost highlighting and sensationalizing the murders rather than a clear look into, you know, the case. I prefer something that is a lot more, I guess, informational when it comes to a documentary and less sensationalized. And I say all this to say because people really like true crime. They like the TV shows. They like the drama. But it's a certain kind of true crime that they like. They When they focus on serial killers, they only focus on men, white men, who are semi-attractive, even though all these men are ugly. They're, they all are. Ted Bundy... Richard Ramirez, um, the two brothers, the Ramirez brothers, I think it is, the Night Stalker, I forget the Night Stalker's name, and then Dahmer. Ugly, terrible men who've done terrible, terrible things. And people want to focus on these stories and they repackage them and they make a show or a documentary or a movie or whatever the frick and they retell them over and over again. And they feed these stories of true crime down our throats all the time and we hear about them constantly. And... Then when it comes to true crime that matters, like when you talk about missing person cases, like Florence Smithfield, who was a black woman who died in her um, Connecticut apartment, allegedly to a um, drug overdose, when really what happened was that she was murdered by a guy who took her out on a date, but, you know, the police department in, um, where is it, Connecticut, truly did not do enough to find the answers behind what happened to her, and... It was really sad, and I remember seeing like her videos about her on on TikTok all the time, and how like the police didn't um, interview her Bumble date, and the name of the guy who possibly killed her is even out there or the face, which I can understand like protect the identity, but he's the last person to have seen her alive, so maybe he should like be questioned a little bit uh harder like hello like does her life not matter it just shows you that you know there is a clear bias that this young 23 year old beautiful black woman was murdered and killed and her story is told for a second and then forgotten and discarded but these terrible horrible white men who murder and kill mainly people of color and queer people and just continue and their stories get continued on repackaged you know successful actors uh play them in these popular tv shows and movies and on popular streaming services and it's just a cycle over and over and over and over again it's the loss of humanity it's it's awful and i'm just tired of it i hate it yeah i agree Okay, let's switch to the food. <laughs> uh, Bean, it's your turn. What is a um, movie, what is a TV show that you've seen this year, 2022, that you thought was not good, bad? Well, I don't want to say it's bad. You know what I'm going to say, but yeah. it was disappointing for mm-hmm. me. I watched The Midnight Club mm-hmm. from showrunner Mike Flanagan, mm-hmm. my best boy, <laughs> and it was not as... It was disappointing. Right. Um, I first I because I watched it right after I saw Midnight Mass, so I was coming in hot 
I was like, all right, let's see what all this is about. Right. I knew it was it was more YA oriented, so I was all like, oh, it's for teens. Like, maybe it won't be as good, but like it'll still be good. But I think the biggest thing, okay, it had a lot of potential. Um, the narrative framing was a little wonky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't the best because the narrative framing was like. Okay, so the show is about all these terminal, like, all these kids. It's basically a hospice for kids. All these kids have, like, terminal, not kids, but, like, teenagers. They have um terminal illness, and they're at this hospice, and then at night, they meet in this library, and they tell scary stories. Um, So every episode is, like, a different story, and they're, they can be, like, genre stories, um, but the kids are playing the characters in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a story within a story, so the framing device very much is like kind of these stories. And if if you're watching, if the story's boring, then you're just gonna have to like deal with it. You just have to like sit there in the episode and kind of just like take it. Right. Um, there were like two stories that I really liked, and then the rest of them were felt too long to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, what are we doing here? Um, another thing that kind of killed the show was that um, I'm used to Mike Flanagan stuff being really tight mm-hmm. so that by the end of it, you feel satisfied and everything, like the slow beginning really makes sense. Um, this show was not that because I got to the end and nothing was answered. And then I was like, is this not a limited series? Reader, it was not a li- limited series. Dear reader, it was not. So, I was like, but I don't really care enough to keep watching. Because if you do a show like that, like, if you have the first season just, like, establishing all the characters, it has to be really tight, it has to be, like, really engaging, you have to really fall in love with all the characters. And it was just kind of slow, so it just, like, didn't happen. Like, I cared a little bit, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't all that. It wasn't like Hill House or Midnight Mass, you know? It wasn't giving like that. And then, obviously, also, Netflix did a really bad job at, like, promoting it. They do the worst um, of promotions. I don't understand why. Because Midnight Mass was a hit. Yeah. Lie Manor was a hit. Uh-huh. Hill House is a hit. Those are all their big money makers. And now they're making a show like that, but aimed as teens. And... Teens probably watch Netflix more than, like, adults do, Right. I want to say. Like, they're a huge demographic for Netflix. And the fact that they just weren't, like, pushing it, mm-hmm. I was kind of, like, shocked. I was like, wow. And so they canceled it. They canceled Midnight, the, the Midnight Club. And then Mike Flanagan proceeded to, like, drop everything that was going to happen in the show. I think on Tumblr. He made a Tumblr post, and he told us everything, which I really respect because, as you know, as I said, I had a lot of questions at the end of season right, one. of course. So I, I like having answers to my questions, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but looking at how it would have played out, absolutely like not. Like, I couldn't do another ten episodes, eight or ten episode series. Um, I honestly think that the subject material was interesting enough that he could have condensed it all into an eight episode or ten episode, actually twelve, a twelve episode TV show, and just had it as a limited series. It would have been sorry good. 
but he didn't do that. And instead, we have to have half of his story, and the other half is a Tumblr post. Yeah, the source. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Mike Flanagan. <laughs> I'm sorry that, like, first of all, Netflix canceling shows before their time is so annoying, because they do this all the time. They continue to do it. And it's, like, it's very clear, because I... I think I've read like a tweet or something about this, how Netflix's business model is more focused on bringing in new subscribers rather than retaining the ones that they already have, which seems like a waste of everyone's time, but okay. And it's so annoying how they continue to cancel shows like Midnight Club, Warrior Nun, and most recently 1899, because they don't let their new shows breathe. They don't give them time for people to watch them or fall in love with them. And it sucks because, like, networks and production companies really don't let people just, like, finish their stories or just, like, tell it fully. And it's getting worse now with, obviously, what's happening with HBO Max, how, like, Minx, the show Minx Club, I believe it was? No, like, Minx. I think the show's just called Minx. The show was greenlit for season two, and they were in the middle of production, and then it was canceled, and I think it was picked up by another network, but it's this thing where you cancel these shows, and then they start taking these shows off the platform, so that people can't watch these shows anymore, and actors can't get paid residuals for the shows, and imagine spending all this time putting all your work and effort into something that you love, something that you, um, you know, pour your heart and soul into, something that means so much to you, for the studio to cancel it, which happens, but then to pull it off the platform, so now the work that you've made is gone, and the only way for people to watch it is through piracy, which, of course, <sighs> piracy is the thing that, you know, people turn to if you can't, like, watch a show, if you don't want to pay for, like, 17 different streaming services but people should have access to the shows and have it be easily accessible on a streaming platform so that the writers and the showrunners and the directors and the actors can at least get some money from residuals i don't know how much but like they can get something from it and it it just it sucks especially with what hbo max is doing it sucks um dang i was gonna make a point and then yeah. I, lost I honestly it. can't believe, like, at one point I can believe it because they're broke, but on another hand, I'm like, my planning is like your your golden boy. Like, and that's why he's going to Amazon. He, he's bringing so much money for you. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you cancel his? So like, just, much money. Just, just cancel. Don't, can- like, you, you have to keep your, like, people happy. You have to keep the people who work mm-hmm. for you happy. I think that studios forget that because, like, remember, like, the TIFF? That Christopher Nolan got in with, who was his distributor? Warner Brothers? Warner Brothers? Where he was all like, I don't want my show to be on streaming. Like, push it back. And they were like, no. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, I, I want it in theaters. It's like, you have to keep, if like if that's his wish, like keep him happy. Like You don't want to lose Christopher Nolan. Wasn't, it, me? wasn't that Tenet where he didn't want that to be on streaming only? Yes. Yeah. It was Tenet. And, and then, the and then also Dune, Dune mm-hmm. and Dennis Villeneuve. He was mm-hmm. all like, "I want a theatrical release for this," mm-hmm. and he he literally wrote something, and it was like, "Don't don't pay, piss off Dennis. Like, are you for real?" Don't Sorry, piss Dennis. off Dennis. Yeah, guys, don't piss off Dennis. 
Like, what are you doing? He seems like a nice guy, but, like, he'll go off on you. I've seen it, I mean, man. Like, you just don't, you want to keep a good relationship with your talent, yeah. or else they're going to leave. Keep Dennis happy, man. You don't want none of that smoke. I'm telling you, exactly. he seems nice. His last name's hard to pronounce. He'll go off on you. He'll let <sighs> you know what it is, okay? He's French-Canadian. Like, don't mess don't with mess him, bro. Don't mess with him, bro. You think the Canadian overrules the French? It doesn't. Because of a line of, of, of colonizers, bro. You gotta watch out <laughs> for them. He's not the one to play with, my guy. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. I actually, um, I still do love streaming. Because I remember when Netflix started releasing, like, movies. And these films started getting nominated for these awards. And then, you know, the movie that comes to mind is Beast. Hold on, hold on. Let me look it up real quick. Beast of Southern Wild. It was a film. Oh, wait, this is a different movie. This is not the movie I'm thinking of. Hold on. Idris. Beast of No Nations. That was the movie. Beast of No Nation was a Netflix film that came out in 2015. And this movie did not get nominated for an Oscar. And a lot of people believe that it should have been nominated for an Oscar in some kind of regard. Just because of how well done the movie is. And because the director for it is um, Kerry Joji Kudaga. Yes. Who is an incredibly talented director. Um, he also directed It and then the James Bond film No Time to Die. But before then, he did the um, 2011 adaptation of Jane Eyre, and he's, um, yeah, he's a great director, very talented, um, and very well, well regarded, and a lot of people didn't understand why this movie wasn't nominated for an Oscar, and the only reason that people could come up with was because it was on Netflix, so it wasn't seen as a real movie, it was seen as like a TV movie, so to speak, as in to make it seem like it is not worthy of an Oscar nomination and then there was this whole back and forth with a lot of like well-known well-established directors talking about how streaming services are taking away from people in the theaters or streaming services aren't as adequate as a theatrical release and how like like streaming has given a lot of people more access to films but also has given a lot of people more access just to like the content that they love and movies like Roma which was a Netflix film which is very well done and there were some people that wanted to say some things outside their necks about Roma when it came out, but the director didn't really, like, um, I guess didn't stoop to that level, so to speak. He is very proud of his film, which he should be, because Roma is an amazing film, and he did amazing with that movie. And <clears throat> I've always been someone who will defend streaming, even though Netflix pisses me off. I will still defend streaming. I will still say it's a great alternative to a theatrical release, and I think that it should be given the chance Usually more with um, streaming services like Amazon Prime, which has a lot of new content, a lot of new content all the time, which is really good, and Hulu, which has yet to disappoint me. So shout out to Hulu. But now with um, Netflix canceling a show if it doesn't get like a million, I guess like ten million people watching each and every episode for a new TV show, and then HBO Max pulling the buffoonery that's doing right now, it's hard to find a leg to stand on in the streaming versus theatrical release debate. So I can understand where Christopher Nolan and Mr. Dennis are coming from when they say they want a theatrical release for their films, because they want people to see it in theaters. Of course, they want the box office numbers and like 
the cash, like, so to speak. But they also want people to, like, see the movie where it's supposed to be seen. Because, you know, movies are magical, or whatever it is that Nicole Kidman said, you know, like. But also, then those movies come out during the pandemic. Huh? I don't go to an AMC. I don't know what the Nicole Kidman ad is. (laughs) I'm a regal girly, so I can't help. Oh my gosh. Every single time I go see a movie at um, AMC, that Nicole Kidman ad is just... (sighs) We make movies better. It's... It's amazing. It's... It's phenomenal, I have to say. Like, she really didn't know what she was doing when she was walking down that aisle in that beautiful, beautiful pinstripe silver suit, <laughs> just looking at the <laughs> the movie theater. Like, I know Nicole Kidman has not been in an AMC either. You know, she she's definitely been in like a Regal or some other very high end movie theater. You know, Regal on the same level as AMC. Okay. I wouldn't know. I usually just go to AMC. But, um, yeah. Somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Yeah. Okay. Um, we were talking about the Midnight Club. Um, we were talking about how it got axed. Another thing you brought up was, like, how they have a model based on gaining subscribers rather than retaining them is because I'm pretty sure they're operating at a deficit so they need like a significant amount of growth to continue to like sell the investors the idea that what they're doing is a good idea because mm-hmm. I heard this might be old information because I heard this many years ago I'm old but um Netflix shows they don't like they don't drop in viewership but they drop in profitability after the second season so, like, after the second season, even if they're doing well, they're not gaining the numbers that they had before. So that's why a lot of shows end at the second season. Um, or at least they that's what they used to back in my day. Um, like, when the OA got cancelled, it was after two seasons. American Vandal got cancelled after two oh seasons. Oh my gosh, American Vandal but now, so good. Yeah, but now they just, like, axe them instantaneously. They don't even have time for that anymore. Rest in peace. The OA, as strange as that show was, it was really, it was pretty good. Like, it was very unique. It was very different. And it does separate shows. I really like the OA. Yeah. And what kind of show could be released and then, like, four years after it comes out, the same people that watched season one will watch season two and then talk about it. Like, really? What other show can do that? Not many other shows can do that. And what can I, th- I say? I think that um, you are right about uh, Netflix. They employ a cost plus model, which basically means that they're going to pay for a show's entire production, which is 30% premium, which is a lot of money. And um, a lot of the times they try to make it more appealing to TV producers by giving them bonuses and pay bumps as the series continues. But... Overall, like, I think that was kind of, like, in the beginning of Netflix where they're, like, paying people to be on their service, and now it's more that people, like, are coming to Netflix, 
And I think they used to like go off of a basically something called viewership versus cost of renewal process, which basically determines whether the cost of producing another season is appropriate or proportionate to the number of viewers that the show receives. And yeah, I think that's kind of based on something that I did mention earlier. I don't really remember. But if you're going off of that, then I don't know why they would act like shows like Sense8 or Luke Cage. Well, I wasn't really a fan of Luke Cage, but like those shows had a dedicated fan base and people were watching them and people were interested in the shows and they're talking about them, especially Luke Cage. Like I remember Twitter was Maybe especially Luke Cage. Daredevil, girl. Oh my gosh, Daredevil. Daredevil okay. ending was like... But the thing is oh that Daredevil was canceled because Marvel was like, you can't do this anymore. And Luke Cage... No, 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 no. They walked that back. They walked that back. They said that it wasn't Marvel's decision. It was Netflix's decision. Uh, okay. I think. I bring Don't up... quote me, but I remember reading that. I just bring up Luke Cage because that was canceled after two seasons. Like you said, oh, yeah. so I use as an example, Daredevil had three. Daredevil did have three. Yeah. I know, but Daredevil was the beginning of the end. Because... Oh, my gosh. Did they cancel that one first? They but, canceled that one. No, then they canceled Defenders. And then well, Defenders Iron... was a limited thing. Oh, yeah. It was never going to have multiple seasons. So, okay, Iron Fist, mm-hmm. obviously. And then Luke Cage. And Luke Cage. And then Daredevil? Because I remember Jessica Jones didn't have a season out yet. So. I remember Jessica Jones' newer season coming out after Daredevil was canceled. And it was yeah. kind of like, I remember that feeling so well. Because I remember waiting for season three to come out and being like, oh my gosh, this could be the last season because they canceled Daredevil. Oh no, what am I going to do? I know. I, I was that. there. Because I remember, yeah, and then they didn't cancel Jessica Jones until, like, after the season went out, right? Oh my gosh, it was so... It's that was... worse. What's even worse now is that, like, Jessica Jones is not on Disney+. Plus. Like, this show should not be on Disney+. Probably not. No. Um, but... What are you gonna do? They gotta... They gotta get their shmoney. Screw them and their shmoney. Yeah, I do think it was funny how, like, Mike Flanagan fully was like, uh... Mike Flanagan was just like, oh yeah, you're already against on my show? Okay, here's everything that was going to happen. Since I'm not writing this anymore, here you go. Uh, screw you, Netflix, I'm going to Amazon. Uh, take that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, good for him, but... The thing with streaming is that streaming itself is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's so companies like Netflix where all they do is streaming, they're never going to make it. So then the companies that have sub sub subsid what's it called when you have something else? A second stream of income? Subsidi- subsidiary 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 what? Yeah. Wow. The viewer at home knows what I'm talking about. Subsidi- it's fine. Diary, dairy, subsidiary, yeah. whatever. Um, they're gonna do well. So, um, the only streaming services that are gonna do well are your Amazons, your Disney Pluses, and your Apple, uh, Apple Plus, whatever, Apple TV Plus. Mm-hmm. And then all of them are eventually going to die, except for maybe Hulu, because I don't know if you know, but Hulu is like 
um, multiple companies have stake in Hulu. So it's not a huge siphon from any one company, except for Disney. That's because true, when Disney Hulu when Disney and... bought Fox, mm-hmm. they have 40% of the shares now. So mm-hmm. they have like twice as many shares as the other ones. But it's still not a huge siphon for them because they're Disney. And Disney get all, the, Disney makes most of its money from parks, which allows it to do basically whatever it wants in like other aspects. So that's why Disney has its like secondary form of income that's going to prop up its streaming service. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you're right. And um I just remembered that Chris Rock is going to do a live Netflix special. And they're talking about it as, like, it's, like, Netflix's first ever live-streamed global event, when really what you did was that you made a TV show. Like, you replaced Cable and did the thing that Cable does. It's not special, just because it's on streaming. Hulu does that with Hulu Live! You could do that on YouTube TV by watching live shows on your local network. Like, I have YouTube TV, so I know that. Like, it's not special it's not different it's just like what what do you think you're doing here like yeah yep Um, what's eventually gonna happen is that cable is just gonna come back i think here okay here's my crazy streaming like this is how i would fix streaming okay okay so i use audiobooks yes Mm -hmm. or like i use digital libraries so I use I I get a lot of ebooks and audiobooks from digital libraries. And I think the best way to like reconfigure streaming so that it's profitable for everyone is to do the limited copies like an online library. So basically each online library buys like three copies and you can only have those copies out to people and then they have to return them. So if something's really popular, then the library will have to buy more copies. You know what I mean? So that way you can ensure people are getting correct residuals because there's not multiple copies of any book. It's basically the same as like libraries having DVDs and renting them out, except it's on a digital platform. And I think that would curb a lot of the issues with streaming and make it more sustainable. But no one would want to wait for copies of stuff to come in. Everyone would just pirate shit. Um, which is unfortunate, but I think... You know, that's the best we can do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I do think that's a good idea. Because right now they're all going broke and bankrupt. Yep, absolutely they are. And they don't want to pay residuals. So just having like a one time, like, I bought a copy of this, you know, and if more people want to watch it, I have to buy more copies. That's the best way of doing things. Honestly, not a bad idea. Okay. Um, alright, we've talked about Midnight Club. Um, we're gonna get into, uh, the last thing we're gonna talk about tonight, which is a show that I wanted to discuss because I watched it last year, and I also did a podcast episode about it, and really, I just want to dig into it a little bit more because... Wow, oh wow. It was such an interesting um, show. And it's a show called The Ultimatum. It's on Netflix. It's basically this like dating romance 
reality show, and it's about these six couples. All of these six couples have one thing in common. One person in the relationship wants to get married. The other person is not ready yet. So what do they do? They all resolve to go live in a hotel for, you know, a few days with the Lachey's. Because suddenly they're dating experts, I don't know, or like Netflix's resident dating experts. And um, the six couples split up. They all start to date, quote-unquote, each other. And then there's this big dinner where everyone sits at a table. And they start to do a recoupling. Where it's basically like, you need to pick somebody that you did not come here with to pretend to be be in a relationship with for three weeks. And then after the three weeks, we're all going to sit at this long-ass table again and talk about your time together. And then you're going to get back together with the person you were with before. And then you're going to spend three weeks together. And at the end of the three weeks, you're going to decide, are we going to get married or move on? And it's honestly, the show is wild and ridiculous because, first of all, the first time they sit at that big table and they're all just, like, sharing the person, they're sharing, like, why do you want to... Uh, pretend to date this person for three weeks and they're going over the reasons why and what they like about this person and the qualities that they have and it's very clear when like certain people are talking about certain qualities someone has and they're like having they're like kind of digging it's like a dig at the person they came there with it's like okay so you're not being coy and you're not being slick we're just being a little bit messy and another thing that i noticed about the show is that all the couples nobody on this show is over 30. No one. And everybody on the show has been together for like less than two years. And so they're all looking for marriage and yet all of you lack the um biggest like I don't know why this show was made. I don't know why the Lachey's did this to us. I don't know why these people said yes. Why would you say yes to a show where your significant other has to go be with someone else and pretend to be in a relationship with someone else for three weeks while you're with somebody else too? And also, you're on camera. You're on TV. You're going to watch them do what they do. So not only are you embarrassed once, but you'll be embarrassed several times over because this is a streaming show. This show doesn't die. It doesn't air once and then you forget about it. It's always there. It never leaves. Netflix has never taken this off their platform. You realize that, right? Like, hello? Well. Well. I know the ethics of this or the logic of it is, you know, a little out there. But does it make for good TV? It makes for terrible Riddle TV. Riddle me that. Okay. It's not even, like... It's, I, I, I want to say that, like, at least it's messy and fun to watch. But really, I was just watching it, and I was so infuriated by the whole thing. And I... I truly feel like when you're watching these kind of shows, the one thing you need to keep in mind is this. Is that, um... Don't let somebody tell you they don't want you twice. And they don't even have to tell you. They just show you. If somebody is in all of their actions, in their attitude, in the way they don't even look you in the eye when you're speaking to them, 
leave them. Break up with them, leave them, start clean, start fresh, and while you're at it, delete your Instagram, because that's just going to make it easier for you to move on. Because I would not want to be someone who put on this show, left, a couple months later the show comes out, and then every few months a new person watches it, a new group of people watch it, someone else discovers it, and then every single time, new DMs, new comments, another Us Weekly interview or article about, like, you moving on, or you getting a haircut, or you dating somebody, or da 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 da, or something you tweeted at, like, it's, oh my gosh, it's bad, it's bad, my guy, it's bad, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, overall, I chose to watch it, like, I was like, yeah, I'll give it a try, but, um, looking back at it, I feel like it was one of the worst movies. Not worse. It's one of the worst shows I watched last year. It was one of the worst. And it was so unhinged. Like, the fact that they're gonna make a queer version of the show does not make it better. It just makes it worse. And I really wish they would just keep it. So, yeah. I mean, we can. Like, I can go with like, the nitty gritty of a different couples. And I can tell you about I don't know. Go ahead. <laughs> you have any questions? I I, I watched I watch so little reality TV, mm-hmm. but also it does tickle my fancy a little. Where I'm just like, hmm, mm-hmm. what's going on? But if it's cringe, if it's just like you're watching cringe TV, then I don't get the point. Like to be honest, if you're gonna if if you're gonna be messy, at least be fun. Mm-hmm not frustrating yeah i feel like a lot of i i hate to say this but i feel like a lot of streaming shows yeah reality shows fall into that category because i've never like because shows like i don't know big brother like they last so long on tv and they have dedicated fan bases but you'll just never get the same experience on streaming or if you do like no one's figured it out yet you know? Yeah. I haven't watched Big Brother before, but I feel like it is one of those shows where, like, if I was going to try reality TV, I would be on that show. Like, that's the one I would do. A dating one? No. Never. Because let me tell you something. I may have no love life at all, but the one thing I will never do, the one thing I will never do is go on television and let um, millions of people know how desperate I am to find love that I will go on TV so everyone can dig into my personal life and I don't even get married a ring I don't even get like any I, but I'm you not do get money you it's get money. not it's barely any money a lot of these shows people do not get paid to do these a lot of these shows they, they're not getting paid the only people who are getting paid are the liches the only payment I guess yeah the only thing you're getting from this is embarrassment and some Instagram followers, but that's probably it. And maybe some, you know, some spicy DMs. But I really don't think like, I mean, if you're gonna count the um the um Bloom advertisements you're getting, possibly the Bloom ads. I feel like Bloom is the new um Fit Tea, cause I don't know why every single person on TikTok that I follow drinks Bloom, 
and that does not look good. Like, the way people talk about it, and the way people drink it, like, you can't convince me that you actually like drinking it. You, you can't. Please. I have no idea what Bloom is. Bloom is a powdered supplement that's basically like a meal replacement thing, and it's green, and it's watery, and it looks gross, and it looks like blended, it looks like powdered spinach that people are drinking. It's just, a lot of TikTokers have been um, promoting it, or I think we're promoting it back in the fall, because I used to see it everywhere, and then I also saw it on my Amazon uh, recommended, because, you know, my phone is listening to me. But um, it's it just looks gross. It looks gross. Yeah. Okay. I can Social go. Social media brings us so many beautiful things. Oh yes, it does. Um, you know, I can go over the couples and just go one by one what I don't like about them. If you'd like some context. I don't think I'd be able to retain it <laughs> because at least at least not even with like visual aids. Yeah. Like, it will be a lot of names. I'm sure... How about... If I ever watch the show... Hold on, hold on. I'll hit you up. I'm going... I'm giving you... Okay, we're doing a screen share. See it? Okay. Wait. Okay, you gotta go into... Okay, you see the screen share? Oh my god. Yes. (laughs) The happy couple! Okay, so give me one second. We're going to start from the beginning. This is season one. Alright, so we're going to go through each couple. So this is Alexis and Hunter. Alexis and Hunter, they came into um, the ultimatum. And I think it was Alexis who wanted to get married. And Hunter was kind of like hesitant. Um, Alexis, when it comes to like the beginning of the show... All the six couples are in a hotel, and they all basically, quote-unquote, split up, and they pretend that you're single, and they all walk around and meet each other and chit-chat and talk each other up to see who it is that they're going to spend three weeks together to pretend like they're dating. Got it? Bean? Okay. Yeah, sorry. Okay, okay, okay. So, when Alexis was Mm -hmm. talking to all the guys, none of the guys really liked her. They thought she was annoying. And she is, she does give up kind of like Karen vibes, not gonna lie. So there is a time when they're supposed to like regroup at the long table and be like, this is the person I'm gonna date for this long, blah, blah, blah. And um, Hunter was supposed to be paired up with this one girl. And it seemed like they were gonna get along and they were, really liked each other and they were like, we were simpatico, and Alexis got up, and she was pissed. Like, she kind of got upset, and she was like, I don't want him to, like, pretend to be dating her. I don't want to do this. Like, this is not what I wanted. And the Hunter immediately was like, I'm so glad you said that. Oh my gosh, babe, I was just looking for that. I just wanted you to fight for me. And he immediately gets down on one knee, and he proposes to her, and right then and there, they're engaged. <laughs> right then and there. Like, the first one, right at the gate, they're like, done. Engaged. And they, they, after the um, re- the coupling, first one is done, the two of them leave the show. Like, you see Alexis again later in the show, but they're only there for, like, a short time. So, yeah. And I think they got married already, so that's good for them. Okay, next couple. Madeline and Colby. Madeline and Colby. Colby wants to get married. 
Colby wants to lock it down. Madeline doesn't want to get married yet. I'm going to be honest. Colby is kind of manipulative. Um, he got coupled up with this girl, April. And while he was coupled up with April, April, pretty sure he cheated on Madeline with more than one girl. And it feels like he's done that before as well. And he's just like really, really... He talks about how much he loves Madeline, how much he wants to be with her, how much he wants to take care of her, and then he just keeps on acting like a complete, like, dick. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. He just... These hoes ain't loyal. (laughs) These hoes ain't loyal. Exactly. And Madeline got paired up with this guy, Randall, who's a black guy, and um, she, for the whole three weeks is like I don't really get to know somebody unless I like I'm in with them physically and he was like not down with that like he's super nice he was like super comforting to her he even like held her like walked her dog for her like he held her while she cried but he was just like I'm not gonna sleep with you like that's just not gonna happen he's like I don't roll like that which is very respectful and we love to see that in a man and it was very clear when like Madeline introduced Randall to her um friends that they were kind of like fetishizing him because he's a black guy and he is very attractive, but it's also kind of like gross. So she got back together with Colby and they were not a good match at all. Like they should not have been together. They should not have been dating. And at the end of the, at the very end of the show, the couples meet again and they're like, do you want to get married or do I move on? You know, like that. And Colby proposes and she says yes. And there are so many reasons why she should have said no, but she said yes. And then she got pregnant. Like, immediately at the reunion, she is pregnant. And it's like, wow. He locked that down. So, yeah. That's Madeline. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's so much more I can say about Colby. He's truly, like, not a great guy. Like, you could tell by the eyes. Like, the blue eyes just give it away. Or gray eyes. I don't know. But he was just, he's not a great guy. Yeah. All right, continue. All right. <laughs> Next is Shanique and Randall. I really like these two. They're so cute together. You can see how he's looking at her. He does love her, which warms my heart. And Shanique was a person who wanted to get married. And Randall was kind of like, oh, I want to get my finances together. I want to do this and that. Shanique and Randall were together for two years. So I think that's too short of a time for marriage because marriage is forever, you know? And I believe it's I believe marriage is forever, at least in Shanique's eyes and Randall's eyes as well. So it made sense to me as to why he wanted to wait. But you know, um, Shanique and Randall, honestly, I think they're perfect together. Even when they got coupled up with other people, I knew they were going to get together in the end. I knew they were for each other. Like they're so cute. They love each other. He loves her. Um, he did like get paired up with Madeline. He was like super nice to Madeline and everything, but he was never really like interested in her. Like interested in her. I feel like he was just kind of like going along with the ex- experiment, so to speak, you know. And Shanique got paired up with this guy, Zay, who is really tall and kind of buff. And he's kind of good looking, but he's very immature. And I see how Shanique and Zay fit well together. But I felt like Shanique, because she's so mature and driven and determined, that she was more like a mom rather than a girlfriend to Zay. And even though. Shanique and Zay were knocking boots. <laughs> and the funny thing is that Shanique got on Randall's case because she was like kind of 
hinting, insinuating, and low-key asking him if he was, like, knocking boots with Madeline, and he was straight up like, why don't you ask me that? I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this because you wanted to, like, you want to get married. You wanted to go through with this. I, like, I, why are you asking me this? And then she starts to knock them boots with Zay, and it's like, girl, what are we doing? But I'm really glad they got together. Um, oh, they broke up six months after the show. Wow. They called up their engagement. Wow. I did not know that. Wow. I find out like this. Yeesh! I still believe in their love, though. I still believe in their love. I do. I think that they're, like... I, I feel like they would hit a rough patch, but they're gonna work through it. They're gonna work through it. I believe Let it. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. Bean, why would you say this to me? Okay. Because they let it go. Oh my gosh. Bean! Does okay, so there's one couple, April and Jake. Hold on. Jake, you also made him. So the thing with April and Jake was that um, April wanted to get married. And I'm going to be honest right now. I did like April. I thought she was a lot of fun. I thought she was interesting. She did refer to herself sometimes in the third person, which is kind of like concerning. But it was clear that Jake is like kind of immature. He doesn't really know what he wants. And April is someone who's headstrong and is like very set on certain things. So it's clear why that April and Jake were together. And also, when the couples do the whole like new couple thing, whatever, for three weeks in the beginning, they have to meet each other's parents. Like they have to meet the families of the people that they're pretending to date. And when you see Jake and April get back together, and you see April and Jake's mom, you see why they're together. Because April is exactly like his mama. Like, and the thing is, April's, um, Jake's mom didn't like Ray, who's a person that Jake coupled up with. Because Ray's really sweet and really nice, but she's also, like, kind of soft. So, even though Jake's mom likes Ray, he didn't, she didn't think that Ray and Jake should be together, and that's why she liked April. Because April and Jake's mama are the same person. But April definitely wanted to, you know, get married. And Jake was messing around with Ray. He was not being faithful. He was lying. He was being immature. He was, you know, doing what light-skinned boys do with light eyes. They just lie. They lie. They cheat. <laughs> and they want to act like they can't answer a question. Or they can't give you a straight answer. Or they want to act like... Everything's fine, but it's not, like... And they broke up at the end of the show. And I think at the end of the show, at some point, April had a boyfriend. But then, I guess, I don't know if they're still together. I don't really care. But April's on her own now, and she's living her best life. And I'm gonna be honest, April was kind of annoying, but I did like her. I liked her because at least she was interesting, and she was keeping the party going. And she was trying. Like, she actually, like, opened up a lot on the show about, like, her, um, struggles with getting pregnant and how she felt like maybe she couldn't have a baby and Jake made it very clear that he wanted to have kids so I do think that that kind of factored into their relationship and um yeah I mean I'm glad that she is like oh it seems like she does have a boyfriend which is good for her but um yeah shout out to April she was low-key messy but she was fun and I liked her so yeah uh, this is Jake. We don't really care about Jake. Moving on. Um, Ray. 
Ray was with Zay. You can tell who stayed and who stayed together and who didn't <laughs> by um okay. the pictures. Are you following along, Deep Bean? Do you want me to slow down? I'm good. Okay, you got I think it. For someone who didn't like this show, you have many opinions. <laughs> I, I'm trying to keep it brief because, like, if I really went to like my real opinions, we'd be here forever. And I'm trying to keep it brief. So Ray and Zay, they're together. I feel like they were the youngest and the most immature couple out of everybody. Um, Zay has a lot of like trauma. Is what we learned. From, like, his dad not being in his life, I think. And Ray was the person who wanted to get married. But when the producers asked Ray in the very beginning of the show, the first episode, what do you like about Zay? Why do you want to marry him? What qualities do you see in him as a husband or as a father or as a partner? And she couldn't name anything. She couldn't say why she loved him. She couldn't say why she wanted to get married. She couldn't be honest. Like, she couldn't say anything. And then as you watch the show... You see that she's a daddy's girl. Her dad just like kind of babies her a little bit. And Zay didn't have any family for Shanique to meet, really. Like, he's not close with his family or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, Ray ended up with Jake. And they were like messing around or whatever. They were taking it a little too seriously when it came to being recoupled. They were really like, I don't know. I think Ray sent jake naked pictures like a video of her twerking or something like that and then at one point when uh ray and zay recoupled he was trying to talk to her and communicate with her and she cannot communicate she can't talk she'll avoid any kind of conversation like if you try to talk to her and be straight up with her she just won't she won't open up and it's so infuriating and frustrating and it got to the point where he basically like blocked the door from her and it got a little like ooh, it got a little close like mm, this is a situation and then she slapped him across the face so then i was like ooh, this is not great because even though it's a tv show even though it's a reality show these are people with real emotions and real feelings and they're and they're doing things like ray was sleeping around with another guy and also zay was sleeping around with shanique but like still there's still the emotion there's still the feelings there and the tension and when that kind of situation happens in a tv show it really just made me rethink my um fixation on these reality shows and my interest in them because that's so uncomfortable but also just like oh we're dealing with people and real emotions right now and this is not a storyline and this is not just for television this is like so potent and tangible and will affect people and i i hate that i just saw that i hate that it's on camera it's icky you know um yeah, yeah. ray and zay are not together anymore which is good for them because they really should both be single neither of them should have been together in the first place i don't know how they started dating i don't know why ray thought she should have married zay he is not a husband he's not husband material he's boyfriend material maybe he's a one night stand material possibly he's three months material but he's not boy he's not husband material you know so um <clears throat> let's see and then there is this couple lauren and Nathan, they were kind of boring, I'm not gonna lie. Lauren, um, Nathan was the person who wanted to get married. 
like there are only two men in the show that wanted to get married but both of them are kind of terrible like colby wanted to marry madeline but it wasn't really like to marry her because he loved her it was to marry her to like lock her down because colby's kind of like a bad person and um what was it um right what was it um oh right nathan so with nathan he wanted lauren to kind of like stay at home and take care of the kids and he goes to work and lauren was okay with that as long as he helped out or he um like at least like put in some effort but she felt like if she was a homemaker and he was a breadwinner he really wasn't gonna put the effort to really help out around the house and then after alexis and hunter got engaged he got right out of his seat and immediately got right out of his knee in front of lauren and was like babe let's do this let's lock it down and she said yes even though she spent the first episode talking about how she doesn't want to get married she doesn't know if she wants to be with nathan she's not sure and she was talking to colby the whole time and colby was thinking like i know she says she doesn't want to really have kids or she doesn't want to be with nathan but i know i can convince her i know i can see make her see my side i know i can like bring her and it's like whoa whoa are you gonna brainwash her what's going on here and when nathan and lauren got engaged it was like Okay, so you're just copying Hunter and Alexis? That's great. And then Colby was pissed, because he was like, well, great, now I don't have someone to manipulate anymore. Crap! You know? He didn't say that out loud, but that's exactly what he wanted to say. But he couldn't say, of course, because he can't say the quiet part aloud. But, um... Yeah, so those are all the couples. Yeah. What a mess. <laughs> It was a fun mess. What do you mean? It was fun. We all had a fun time in a holler, so to speak. What did you think? Am I going to watch the dating show ever? (laughs) Listen, they're, I'm just going to be honest, they're all bad. From all the ones that I've watched, which aren't aren't a lot, there aren't they aren't a lot. Okay, I know from what I said about the ultimatum, it seems like I'm an expert in this. I'm not. I swear to God. But like from the dating shows that I've gleaned or the ones that I've learned about, I really can't say if they work or not, man. Even the one that's called "Are the Are You the One" on MTV, where they literally have like compatibility tests and then they pair people together. I don't know if any of those people are still together. And also, any kind of dating show on MTV turns into like a dating slash challenge show. Like, why am I here trying to find love and also trying to climb a rock wall? Like, why is that? Why are you making me do this? Does that make sense? I don't. Know. I <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they just need a new angle to sell to people or else they're all going to seem the same they are kind of the same all of them are kind of the same because none of these people end up together anyways yeah but that was the ultimatum <laughs> honestly I feel like we've reached the end um 
we can just talk about Can't Wait to Watch, which is, which is the last segment of the podcast where we talk about movies and TV shows that we cannot wait to see that are coming out very soon. Or they could be just things you can't wait to see that are on your watch list. The, sorry, the last segment is actually supposed to be called Watch List, which is basically where we talk about something, the things you can't wait to watch. The things you can't wait to watch. Just tell me about the things you can't wait to watch. That's it. Well, my my watch list after the Oscar nominations looks like it got hit by the London Blitz. Mm-hmm. I actually I have a Notion page where I write down all the things that I'm going to watch and when I'm going to watch them to like hold myself accountable. Same. Wherever I don't know, it's and the list is very long right now. I have like 21 movies on it just for the Oscars, and looking at it gives me a headache. But so excited. <laughs> I used to um, do a podcast. I watch, yeah, sorry. I watch all the nominees except for documentary, but all the full-length feature films that are nominated in every category, even if it kills me. Yeah. Okay. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Bro, you interrupted me. You had a podcast. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. Sorry, um, I had to, I had to like get this thought out before I lost it. <laughs> got it. Okay, it's fine. Um, right. What I was what? Okay. Hold on. What I was gonna say was that usually when it comes to um my podcast, I'll have an episode where I talk about the nominees, or I kind of review them, or we do like predictions or something like that. I don't know if I'm going to do it this time around. I'll have to think about it, but I probably won't this time because, like, I really don't think I'm going to have time to watch um, the nominees. Like, I, I don't I don't have time to watch the shows that I want to watch, really. But then these new movies that, like, are coming out that look super cool that, of course, I want to watch them. Of course, I want to see them. But I really don't think I have the time. Like, I just don't. And that, like, sucks. But, like, that's just, that's just me, my guy. So, you know, um yeah but uh shout out to you i'm sure that everything you're gonna watch you're gonna like absolutely love i don't think that will be true at all there are some movies on there that i just know i'm gonna despise like the whale exactly okay exactly (laughs) listen i i don't even like black swan what makes you think i'm gonna like the whale how are they related? It's the same. This the, the same guy made them. The same director? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. He, Black Swan is considered probably his best movie. Oh. So. Oh yeah, like it is him, one. Darren Aronofsky. Aronofsky. Oh, Aronofsky. I've definitely heard about. I've definitely heard him. Isn't yeah, he, I don't is, even. Is he married to, like, Rachel Weisz or something? You're the one who reads the blind items. I don't know. <laughs> no, he was married to her. They they broke up in 2010, and then she started marrying... She married, um, our boy, James Bond. Daniel Craig! Yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, didn't he also do Noah? No. Yes, he did. Noah. 
Yeah, I don't like that guy. I I remember him because the movie Mother had come out and everyone thought that movie was terrible and he was like ready to like die <laughs> to like defend this movie and didn't Mother get nominated for like uh a um what movie what is the the awards when the movie's bad? Me. Say that again. The Razzies? Razzies, yep. This movie got nominated for Razzies. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch this movie mainly because, like, I knew that I wouldn't like it. But a lot of people, I feel like it's one of those movies where. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like it's one of those movies where, like, you can tell this is not going to be good. This is not going to be great. But. People who do like it try to defend it in the name of cinema. And there's like this whole thing. Oh yeah, I have to watch Blonde too. Oh my god. Don't watch Blonde. <gasps> Don't watch Blonde. Don't watch it. Don't do it. It's on the list. No. I'm sorry. You don't have to. You don't have, have to do to. this. No, 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 no. As I'm much sorry. as I love Ana de Armas, that movie is so empty and shallow. I have to go see the talking fetus. No. Maybe fetus will talk to me after the movie's done. <laughs> the fact that they made a movie based off of a book by a woman who does not know. Marilyn Monroe never knew her, never met her, never interviewed you, never interviewed her, nothing. They made a movie based off that book, which is basically a work of fiction, because it's based off, like, her own thoughts or her own, like, speculations or her own, like, who I think Marilyn is as a person. Like, lady, what? And I also hate, you know what else I hate? Marilyn Monroe is an amazing, iconic person, and there's so many people who have, like, tattoos of her, and pictures of her, and paintings of her, and yet they want to be like, oh yeah, Marilyn Monroe's iconic. I don't like her as a person, like, overall, but she's very iconic. I love her imagery. It's like, you don't like her as a whole person. You shouldn't have her face on your body. Screw you. She is phenomenal. And for people to, like, pick and choose parts of her to like and love and admire is BS, and I hate it, and it's annoying, and and it's gross. And I don't know yeah, why Yeah, they're just commodifying a real person. Yes. Yes, they are. I, As much as I love Ana de Armas, like, Blonde was so bad. And it makes sense as a wife's nominated for an Oscar because it's empty, it's shallow, and it's pretty. And it's just, like, fits into the biopic era. Like, the fact that Blonde was nominated but Till wasn't, even though I have my problems with Till, I do. But, like... At least Till was better. At least there's something of substance there. Gosh. Like, how is it that Top Gun Maverick is nominated for an Oscar and the Woman King gets nothing? Hello? I know. I've seen the Woman King. I have not seen Top Gun yet. Oh, man. Don't even. Don't bother. I... I'm sorry. It's on the list. Here's the thing. I took it off the list like it was on my watch list and then i was like no i don't want to do this and then i took it off and then i got nominated for best picture and i was like oh god and i had to put it back on my watch list so i know i um 
man, what is there to say but the fact that Darren, Aaron Fosky, or however you say his last name. Aronofsky. Aronofsky. I, I'm not going to respect him by saying his last name right. I don't care. Like, I'm sorry. I really did look at Mother, like the trailer, and I was like, this can't be for real. This movie can't be serious. Like, even the movie poster, I was like, okay, this is this is one of those movies. It's one of those movies where, like, it's bad, but if you say it's bad, suddenly you don't understand art. You don't understand cinema. And also, this guy did one of the Hollywood Reporter panels where it's like he was a film writer, a screenwriter, and he's like talking about make, writing the movie. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, how is he sitting across Jordan Peele right now? Are we being serious? Is this happening? Is it? I can think of so many other people should be sitting at the table. Not him. Hello? You think you can compare to Get Out? Okay. Sure. The Big Sick, I'll give you that. The girl who wrote The Big Sick, I'll give you that. But Aaron? Aronofsky? No. I don't think so. Sorry. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> what were we talking about? Uh, things we want to watch on our watch list. Alright, things that are on our watch list. There's one thing that I want to watch that's on my watch list, and it is called um, Kindred. It is a show on FX. I saw it on um, my Hulu recommended, and it's basically this miniseries that is based off of a novel by Octavia E. Butler of the same name. And the show is about this young woman, Dana, who moves to Los Angeles because she wants to live closer to her family. And suddenly she gets um, pulled back into 19th century antebellum South. And basically in the book, she um, gets pulled back to pre-Civil War Maryland in the, on a plantation. And she meets her ancestors. And she realizes that the past is very much intertwined with her present. And the book explores, you know, the dynamics of antebellum slavery and how that bleeds into the legacy of contemporary American culture. And I really do want to watch the show because it looks very interesting. And it reminds me of the movie Antebellum starring um, Janelle Monet. And it's one of those things where you see it and you're like, the movie Antebellum um, with Janelle Monet, it's like, interesting concept bad follow-through you could tell like it's not going to be that good like they had like, the right idea but they didn't really have the gumption or didn't have really have like the wherewithal to actually make it good and then there's kindred that looks to be very well developed well thought out well written with a cast that is full of fresh and new faces, which I love to see in a new TV show. Because I love watching shows where, like, I don't know who the actors are, so it makes it easier for me to watch the show and get enraptured in the story and really just be a part of what's on the screen. That's also why I love um, Secession and also Industry on HBO. Uh, it's those shows where it's so good. It's so good. And the fact that I don't know who these characters are the fact that I don't know who these actors are makes it easier for me to just watch this show and just be a part of the story. The second I recognize somebody, I'm like, oh, this is a TV show. Oh, they're such a good actor. Like, no, like, 
I want to see you embody your character and become your character. I want you to get lost in the sauce, you know? That's what I want to be a part of. So, yeah, I'm very excited to watch Kindred. I think that's the only thing on my watch list right now. Um, I'm trying not to get into too many new shows at the moment because I will I will be lost in the sauce. I will. Yeah. Understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what, Bean? We have come to the end of another podcast. This has been a true delight. Thank you so much for being with me tonight. I really enjoy talking to you and talking about everything that we discussed. Um, is there anything you want to plug or promote before we wrap up? I don't know. Follow me on Twitter. Be a bean. All my other stuff is linked to there. Be a bean. My little blog. My discussing film stuff. Um, yeah. Yay! Guys. Thanks for having me. Oh my god, thank you for coming on. It was wonderful having you on. And it was awesome to talk about, you know, um, bad TV shows. And also to talk about blind items. If you ever want to learn more about blind items, let me know. Because I need to dump all of this um, dirty celebrity gossip out of my brain. And make room for the real things that matter. Like um, memorizing Nicole Kidman's AMC speech. Because... I may need that one day. You never know. But, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. We sincerely do appreciate you. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, share it with your friends. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I will see you next week. Bye-bye!